Our scripture today is uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 8 through verse 37. And uh, it is a text that I don't believe I've ever spoken on. And it's one that this past week, about 4 in the morning, I woke up, and it was this, I don't know, dream, this vision, this, I don't know what it said, the Shumanite. And I think, I know, Elisha, and I was looking at this, and I mean, I was thinking of it in the Shumanite, well, I've never spoken on it, so I wrote it down so I didn't forget, and uh, put it in my So this whole week I've been reading over this text and reading these scriptures, wondering how is this going to come across. So I have no idea. So it is a very interesting text and it's a very interesting scripture of what happens with Elijah and Elisha. Excuse me, I always, always say Elijah first and Elisha and I'll explain in a little bit. But the focus of, of our belief, the focus of what we believe is, is so very important because we have a list of things in our minds and our lives that we believe, okay? But I came across an individual who um, he spoke of his son being a, a, a total atheist. And I said, well, he believes that, he believes that there, are, there are reasons not to believe. Uh, but he still has a list of beliefs. You see, what we do is, whether we believe the scriptures or believe, we have a list of things as to why we believe. We, there is a list of things why people believe there is no God. There is a list of things that we believe why there is a God. And it's where we put our trust and how that the trust of our scriptures and of the scriptures comes through our life and through our experience, through our words, our thoughts, our actions. Even how we plan our life and how we plan on where God wants to take us in our future. So it's all in front of us and it's all part of our belief system. Well, here we have Elisha, and Elisha was Elijah's replacement uh, as God's prophet for Israel. Now, Elisha had a great example to follow in Elijah because Elijah was this guy who you know, called down fire from, uh, from heaven on Mount Carmel, and uh, when I was in Israel, stood there on Mount Carmel, and they have a big uh, statue there and a, big, and a pavilion where this event probably took place, and it was there that Elijah called down fire from heaven against the prophets of Baal and things like that. It's a great show of strength and fire. Well, we find that Elisha was his, pro was his um, apprentice, his student, and Elisha followed Elijah everywhere he went, and he was willing to follow him. He was willing to learn from him in order to gain the power to know the work which God had called him to do. So he needed to know what it was that God had called him to, and he was learning this from this great prophet, Elijah. But both Elijah and Elisha concentrated their efforts on the needs of the people. And what we find from this story today in, in 2 Kings chapter 4 is that there's a great need of an individual, and we see how this plays out in this person's life. And if there's maybe a couple of things that we take away from this is how that God has a way of blessing us, how that problems have a way of finding us, and how that we then determine what we're going to do 
with those difficulties and how those difficulties are going to shape us and where we go with those difficulties. And I, I'm assuming that this is the, the direction that we're going to go with this, with this text today. So that's what I have in front of us. So we know as Elijah then was this fiery prophet who freed the people of Israel to worship God, Elisha was a man who put people in touch with their personal all-powerful God. And we spoke about this in the Sunday school lesson this morning. The Sunday school lesson I thought was uh, a really good one because it spoke about the power of God, the all-knowing, omniscient, all-knowing God, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere present God. How that God is transcendent, he is in the heavens, but yet he's in the earth. So it's a combination of knowing, you know, uh, knowing everything, uh, the, the idea that um, the transcendency is when God is in the heavens, it's like he wound up the earth and threw it off into space, and he'll come back at a later date <laughs> and check in on it. Well, then there's the idea that God is so involved in the earth and in what's going on, he can't see the forest for the trees. But when God is above it and, beneath, and in it, we find that God is well aware of all the things that are happening. And then, in, in, in that atmosphere, we have that God knows our thoughts from afar off. He knows our thoughts before we think them. And he has all knowledge that God doesn't remember the past and he doesn't see into the future. He has all knowledge. It's everything, the past, the present, and the future, is all before God at the same time. So when God interacts in our life, God is interacting in our life from a position that we are learning how to follow him. We're learning how to allow God to be part of us. It isn't that we're asking God to somehow come down and rearrange some obstacles in our life. We are allowing God to be in our hearts and our lives to come out through us as we approach life as we approach the problems of life and the difficulties of life, the joys of life and the, and the needs of our life. So we are allowing God to come if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal bodies. He shall quicken us. And so there is the spirit of God alive inside of us. It is quick and powerful. It is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, the scripture says. So it is dividing the soul and the spirit. So it's something that is, he is within us. And it's from that position of being inside of us that God is at work doing, living through us to touch the lives around us. So whenever we pray, we don't pray from the perspective, God, move this situation, move that situation God, I think you can get rid of that person and keep them out of my life entirely. You know, <laughs> you know that type of thing. No, it's not like God's coming down here moving the chess, the, the chess players on the board. God is inside of us directing us because he knows our path. He knows our future. He knows all of these things, and he comes in in his compassion and his love and his grace and his mercy and touches our life. And I see this in what Elijah Elisha is doing here in verse, we read as we read through this, these, this text today. So it's 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. One day Elisha passed through Shunem. A leading lady of the town talked him into stopping for a meal. And then it became his custom. Whenever he passed through, he stopped by for a meal. That's my kind of lady. <laughs> That's my kind of lady, you know? 
uh, sometimes when I visit people, I come and I say, you know, I come back every week for two or three cookies and a cup of coffee. You know, just, just let me know, I'll be back. So, um, so here we have hospitality, helping people, helping people in need. So here's a lady who saw this man coming through town. Now, where, as we read on, we'll find out she wasn't quite sure who he was, but she had an assumption, this man is important. He's a prophet of God. And the importance was not that she, he was able to do something for her. The value was she was able to do something for him. Okay? So this is the, the uh, attitude of the woman who is approaching the prophet. She sees that he is a man passing through town. He needs a meal, needs somebody to take care of him. So she, says, she feels that she can do this. So she approaches Elisha and says, come to my house and we'll have a meal. So every time he comes through town, he stops in her house for a meal. Verse 9 and 10. Because there were no McDonald's at that time. You know, no local restaurants. Verse 9. I'm certain, said the woman to her husband, this is this man who stops by with us all the time as a holy man of God. Why don't we add on a small room upstairs and furnish it with a bed and a desk and a chair and a lamp so that when he comes by, he can stay with us? So she has this understanding inside of her that something is very important about this person and she needs to help take care of him. Now, I know that Anne has been stranded here for a week and a half, but I'm not going to add, well, I could add a room on for her to come and stay with us. <laughs> it's not a problem, you know. <laughs> You know, because of the cancellations of the flights and everything, you know. So uh, we'll, we have a room. We'll have it designated as Anne's room so that she, when she flies into the area, we know she's going to be staying for a while and making pies. Um, <laughs> so we know that here's this stranded wayfaring person standing on the road hitchhiking out of Latrobe, and we just picked her up. All right. Not really. But you understand, this is what's going on. So, and so it happened that the next time Elisha came by, he went to the room and lay down for a nap. So she, she not only took care of Elisha in saying, you know, this guy needs a, a meal, we also know that he needs a place to stay. And if he needs, he needs a place to stay, so we'll put another room on the roof. Now, in, in Israel, in those, in those places, we've seen it that they basically have a one-story house and the upstairs, the roof, was kind of like their uh, patio. They would, it was very common for them to have stairs up to the roof, and they would be on the roof of their homes in the evening because that was kind of their cool place to be off of the ground, up in the air, and yet have some type of privacy in their small homes. Their homes were maybe 14 by 14. You know, they're nothing like, you know, ranch-style homes with cathedral ceilings and all that. They're just like small square buildings that made out of dirt, brick, you know, mud brick. And on the top, they have a, a roof. And that is kind of like their lounge area in the evening where it's cool the day they, they kind of go up there. So it's in this place then that they build another room on for the prophet. And so he has his own place to have his meal. He, have, he has a place for him to rest to lay down and rest and has his desk and all that stuff is in place. So he goes up and he lays down for a nap.
Hoping to recharge. There we go. Yeah, there we go. We're recharged and ready to roll. So the, the woman now is in a, in a position that, while well, the prophet of God is in a position now where he wants to reward her. And the next verse is interesting. He says, though go, go, through though Gehazi, Elisha said, you've gone far beyond the call of duty in taking care of us. What can we do for you? Do you have a request we can bring to the king or to the commander of the army? So Elisha is a man who's well-connected. He's well-connected not only in the community, but he's well-connected in the nation. So here's this woman of influence, a leading lady in the town, and she's been going out of her way to take care of Elisha. And so Elisha says, there's got to be something I can do for you. There's got to be something I can do for you. And so in the first context, he says, is there something I can do for you politically? You know, do you have any political ideologies, political means that you want to go? Because I, you know, we know the king, we know all these other connections, and we can do this for you. And how did it all begin? It began by, I think we need to give this guy a meal. Well, now it's gone to the place where there's a room, and now there is this request presented to her. What do you have? Do you have a request of the king or anyone else? Let's see what we can do. She replied, nothing. I'm secure and satisfied in my family. I have no needs. <laughs> she doesn't know what she needs, does she? she she's not like us. Well, um, you know, it's almost coming for Christmas. Uh, what, is, what is your list of things that you need? And we could come up with a list in a hurry, right? Because we know all the things we don't have. Well, this lady is saying, there's nothing that I need. I have my family, I have my friends, I have my home, I have all this. There's nothing, I can, nothing that I need. Verse 14. Elisha conferred with Gehazi. So Elisha's not satisfied with this. Okay? He's not going to let her goodness go unrewarded. So he said, they got, there's got to be something we can do for her. So he's talking this over with his servant. But what can we do? Gehazi said... Well, she has no son, and her husband is an old man. Well, in Israel, if you didn't have any children, that was considered to be a curse from God. Well, Elisha knows that this woman is not cursed of God, and he knows that what is taking place here has been a, is, is like the image of God, the gift of God, because she has been um, very congenial in her hospitality and gone beyond the call of duty, built a room for him and, and the whole works. So call her in, Elisha said, and he called her and she stood at the open door. So she comes to this door of the room that she has gotten and prepared for him. Elisha said to her, this time next year you're going to be nursing an infant son. Whoa. Wow. Now, this was probably one of those Desires of your heart that you know you're never going to get, but yet you still desire it. God knows the desires of your heart. And we get the desires of our heart by giving. You see, there are things in our life that we do, we do, you know, a lot of people do things with strings attached. Well, with God, he knows our thoughts are far off. 
He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows what they are, and he understands us better than we know ourselves. And the challenge is not that we're going to do something to get something. We're doing something in order to honor God's gifts that he's already given us. So we give. And here she says, he says to her, you're going to have an infant son. Oh, my master, holy man, she said, don't play games with me. Don't tease me with such fantasies. It was almost one of those moments where she's challenging her innermost thoughts that she's never told anyone, but yet she's told God. And now the man of God says, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a child. Well, the woman conceived, verse 17, and a year later, just as Elijah had said, she had a son. It's all within the time frame that the prophet has spoken. There are ways that God speaks to our hearts that opens us up to be receptive. See, we, we, I think of it as how God has worked in our life to bring about a certain place, bring about a certain circumstance, bring about certain conditions that speak to us. It speaks to us about having faith. It speaks to us about belief that God is going to do something and I don't understand why. It's not, it's not out of um, debt that God owes us. You've been a good boy, therefore I'm going to reward you with this. It's out of an open heart and an open attitude towards God and that he is a God who loves us, he cares for us, and he's going to bring about the best in our life. And it's hard to look at that sometimes when things aren't going well. The challenge is that we have a list of things that we believe and why we believe them. And no matter what the circumstances that we are facing, it doesn't change our belief. Our belief does not change, does not alter, because things don't work the way we thought they should. It's always good to keep that anchor in your mind. Bad things happen. Storms come. <laughs> Hurricanes come. Lives are lost and property is destroyed. And if my life is lost, it's never lost because it's in Christ. So therefore, I can never die. I can just change residence. And the things that I possess, a hundred years from now, somebody else is going to have them. <laughs> so we lose them now. It's really just in my lifetime that they've disappeared. So what do I lose? Because I can't take it with me. Heaven is my home, and I can't transfer. God, I'd like to transfer uh, my John Deere tractor uh, residence up there, you know, because I, I need to have it to rake up leaves. At least I'm not playing the horses like the lady last week. <laughs> yeah, lady last week, I think it was two weeks ago, she said, yeah, Grandma's going to be in heaven. She's going to be at the racetrack betting on the horses. I go, oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> I don't think there's racing, racetracks in heaven where there's betting. But, you know, <laughs> people have their beliefs. And uh, that's all Grandma did whenever she was on earth was go to the racetracks and play bingo. So I guess that's what you're going to do in heaven. Not so. <laughs> Preacher said there's racetracks in heaven. <laughs> no, there's, there's a race in heaven. Uh, it'd be just between... I don't know who it'll be, but there's no races. I don't know. I don't know that much about the, the racetracks. There's no racetracks in heaven, you know. All right, so anyhow. All right. Child grew up. Verse 8, 
18 and 19. The child grew up and one day he went to his father who was working with the harvest hands, complaining, my head, my head, and his father ordered a servant carry him to his mother. The servant took him in his, the servant took him in his arms and carried him to his mother. He lay on her lap until noon and he died. Oh my goodness. What, what are we doing? There's no doctor, there's no emergency room. The child was God's gift to her, and now the child has died. What is she going to do with it? You see, here is the challenge of life and faith, of what we believe and what goes on and how we deal with it. So, the woman then, she took up and laid him on the bed. She took up her son and she laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut him in alone and left. So she did what she knew. She knew that God had given her this child by the word of the prophet and now the child had died. So she takes him back to the bed where the prophet lies and puts him in his bed and she closes the door. Now, and, and we'll see in her actions that she takes this moment of, of placing her son on the prophet's bed, closes the door, and she doesn't complain and she doesn't do anything, but she has said in her mind she's got to go find Elisha. But before she goes, she, said she, she, uh, she called to her husband, verse 22, get me a servant and a donkey so I can go to the holy man. I'll be back as soon as I can. Her response was not even to tell her husband that the son has died. She doesn't go to the husband and say, our son is dead. See, this is one of those things that she knows in her heart what she has to do. She doesn't understand why she has to do it, but she has to do it in order to find out what's going on. We have to check in with our spirit because before we really understand what's going on. Now, it's obvious what's going on. The child has some type of problem. Um, you know, my head, my head, so maybe an aneurysm, maybe something broke in his head, a stroke, a blood clot, you know, whatever it was, the child, it caused the child's death. And now, she doesn't know what happened, but she puts him in the bed and says, I've got to go find the prophet. That's the challenge. The husband... You know, it's like you. You say you got to go to church on Sunday. And somebody says, why? It's not Thanksgiving. It's not Christmas. It's not Easter. Why are you going to church? <laughs> Anybody ever get those questions? Yeah. I get those questions and I'm the preacher. <laughs> you know? You heard about the, the lady who called for her son. He says, son, it's, you know, it's time for church. You got to get up. He doesn't stir, and she calls a little later, son, you got to get up. It's time to go to church. And he says, I don't want to go to church. And she calls again, son, you've got to go to church. you got to get up and get to church. He says, I don't want to go to church. And she says, but son, you're the preacher. <laughs> oh, well. My mom never gave us a choice, you know. <laughs> It was, it was like uh, my mom and dad. Well, you see, we never had to worry about getting up and going to church. We had to, we had to get up and go to the barn 
and finish all the chores on time, get the milk. You see, we had to plan about two and a half, three hours before we would go to church to get ready for church to get up and be at the barn earlier on Sunday morning so you could get all the chores done in time so you could get your bath and get, to <laughs> get cleaned up and go to church. See, there was, you know, it wasn't like getting up and going to church. There was getting up and go to the barn, do all that stuff. So. But today, the husband says, why do you want to do this? Today's a holy day. You know, it's not a holy day. Excuse me. It's not a new moon. It's not a Sabbath. And she said, don't ask questions. I need to go right now. Then verse 24 and 25. She went ahead and saddled the donkey, ordering the servant, take the lead. Go as fast as you can. I'll tell you if you're going too fast. We've got to get there, and we've got to get there in a hurry. And off she went. So they have a good relationship, this husband and wife, because he doesn't know. She doesn't go without telling him, and yet he lets her go without knowing. Why? So speaks of a good relationship. The holy man, spotting her while she was still a long way off, said, look out there. Why? It's the Shumanite woman. It's the Shumanite woman. And that's the phrase I saw in my head when I woke up in my, my dream. It's the Shumanite woman that brought about this sermon. So what it's about, I'm not quite sure, but it's not for us to understand, but it's that God wants to do something through this story in our lives to help us. See, he has a way of knowing our path and giving us the strength to do, to go, to live, to walk the path that is in front of us. So, look out there. It's the Shumanite woman. Quickly now, ask her, is something wrong? Are you all right? Your husband, your child? She said, everything is fine. Gehazi runs out there and said, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What is her response? I don't need to talk to you. <laughs> Why? Because she doesn't need to review. You see, in, in our life, there are people who want to know everything about us, and they don't need to know. There are only a few people in your life, one or two, that we are to be transparent with. Now, and, 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 I, and I'm not being negative in the sense that, that whenever we want people to pray for us, there are people that, you know, we put prayer requests out, we need to do that. But transparency is that everybody doesn't need to know everything about your life. I do this in, in bereavement and grief. I, you know, everyone wants to know, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Well, th those, are, those are good requests, but the challenge is that there's only a few people who really need to know everything that's going on. People are interested, and people loving and caring want to know, but there's only a few that need to know. And in this case, she says to the Gehazi, Everything's fine. Let me, I want to talk to the prophet. Because the prophet was the man who spoke to her about the child, and it's the prophet who will be able to tell her what to do next. Do we bury him? Or does he live again? And she didn't know. Verse 27. When she reached the holy man on the mountain, she threw herself at his feet and held tightly to him. Place of submission. I really don't know what to do, but I'm going to tell you what's going on. Gehazi came up, tried to pull her away. The, pro the, the prophet's um, apprentice, you know, you know, you can't do that. You can't hang on his feet. No. 
Leave her alone. Can't you see she's in distress? But God hasn't let me in on why I'm completely in the dark. So Elisha doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. He doesn't know exactly how he's supposed to handle this situation. So, so what does he do? He says, I'm in the dark. Sometimes whenever we pray, we don't know how we should pray for as we should. In the New Testament, sometimes we don't know how to pray for as we should, but the Holy Spirit intercedes through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. There's sometimes we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit prays through us. It's that same Spirit that inside of us that prays. Verse 28. Then she spoke up. Did I ask for a son, Master? This was not my idea to have a child. This was yours. Don't tease me with false hopes. Um, <clears throat> I didn't have any hope until you came into my life about having a child, having a son. But I did. Then verse 29, he ordered Gehazi, don't lose a minute, grab my staff and run as fast as you can. If you meet anyone, don't even take time to greet him. If anyone greets you, you don't even answer him. Lay my staff across the boy's face. Elijah is not quite sure what he should do. Because remember in, with Moses, he stretched his staff out over the Red Sea, hit it, and then what? It split. And they went through on dry ground. So Elijah sends his staff to the, to the boy right off the bat. Right out, take, take the staff and go. The boy's mother said, as sure as God lives and you live, you're not leaving me behind. I'm not leaving with your staff. I'm staying with you. Hmm. That's the assurance. I'm sticking to what God's word has spoken to me through you. I'm speaking, I'm sticking with the word of God. And that's going to be my anchor, not the staff. Verse 31. But Gehazi arrived first and laid the staff across the boy's face, but there was no sound, there was no sign of life. And Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and said, the boy hasn't stirred. So Elisha sends the staff, the staff doesn't work. Sometimes what we try doesn't work. Does that mean it's over? It's done? It's not going to? Not so. God has a way of continuing. The story continues. Elisha entered the house and found the boy stretched out on the bed. He went into the room and locked the door. There is a way that we look at things and do things, and sometimes we don't need other people's input. Sometimes we just have to look at this situation from our inner person. It doesn't mean we're supposed to be isolated all the time and make decisions on our own and all that. It means that sometimes we have to check on the inside. They checked on the inside. Locked the door. Just the two of them in the room. And he prayed, God, just like Jesus did with the Jairus' daughter. There have all the people out there weeping. He goes in, closes the door, and speaks to her. This time... Elisha got in bed with the boy, covered him with his body, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, and hands on hands. It's like, I'm going to breathe into you the breath of life. I'm going, they're, they're, we're going to see as God sees. We're going to have the strength of my strength. It's going to come to you. And as he was stretched out over him like that, the boy's body became warm. So there's encouragement. But he didn't come back to life. Elisha got up and he paced back and forth in the room. 
It's like something is going on here. See, sometimes when we do things and have, move by faith, it's kind of a continuation. It's an ongoing story. It isn't, it isn't, it isn't like I pray and it happens. I pray, I sent the, I sent the staff, that, okay? Then I laid on his body and I, and I, I breathed and, uh, and I looked into his eyes and strength of strength, he became warm, but nothing changed. So what are we gonna do? We quit. No, we go on. And what does he do? He went back and stretched himself over the boy again, and the boy started sneezing. Seven times he sneezed. <laughs> Did you know that some say that this is the origin of um, God bless you when somebody sneezes? <laughs> because sneezing was like an evidence of life coming back. And when, when uh, I don't know who sneezed at the altar, I thought of that, this story right here this morning. Somebody sneezed at the altar, it's like, that's a sign. No. <laughs> you know, but it, but it was just one of those things that, you know, we always say, God bless you. And it's like the evidence of life. Sneezing. Just a thought. It's not biblical. It's just a thought, okay? And seven times he sneezed and he opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, get the Shumanite woman in here. He called her and she came in and Elijah said, embrace your son. Can you imagine the thrill of that whole situation? And again, it started, how did it start? It started with an act of compassion. You know what? That guy, he needs a meal. He needs a place to stay. He blessed her with God's word of having a son. A gift of God, and then something terrible happens with that gift. And we don't know what to do with it. And so we take it to God again. The, the Shumanite woman didn't know what to do with this crisis, but she took it to the man of God who made the promise. And what else? She locked the heart and, and locked the door so that no one would be able to disturb. And Elisha, the prophet, did the very same thing because he was checking out from the inside, what should I do next? And that, I think, is the challenge of our life. Sometimes we just don't know what to do next, but we have to check out on the inside. God is at work, leading us on his path, the path of our life, with his knowledge, his presence, his power. He's leading us on the path of life. And in this place of taking our next step, God will guide us, he will bless us, he will protect us. Nothing will ever separate us from him. And he will help us each step of the way. It isn't that we know everything and what to do. The woman didn't know what to do, so she went to the prophet. Prophet Elisha didn't even know what to do. He just went with the moment. And as he went, he discovered how it would all come about. And what does he do in the very end? Embrace your son. She fell at Elisha's feet place of submission, face to the ground in a reverential awe, and then she embraced her son, and they went out together. <laughs> Shall we stand? <laughs> we embrace God's gift to us, which is our life, and our life is our gift from God to us, and a lot of things will transpire in this life, in our life the gift that God has given to us. Let us check in with what God is teaching us in his spirit, in our spirit, by his spirit and his word.
God will never contradict his word. So never think that some of your thoughts, that the thoughts that we have, that they're not all God's. There are three places that thoughts come from. They come from ourself, they come from the evil one, and they come from God. Our responsibility is to know what are God's thoughts. If we know God's thoughts, we're okay. That's why we study his word. That's why we come to church. That's why we read the scriptures. That's why we talk about them in a way that brings understanding to our minds and our hearts with an expectation in our spirit. Father, thank you for the blessings you have given us, for the gift you have given us, the gift of life. We ask, O Lord, your blessing upon us and upon this, your word. For, Lord, we bring it, we bring your word to our hearts and lives and ask you, O God, to teach us the truths of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget, next week, missionary, Sunday school, church and dinner afterwards. Sign up, please.